up, everyone, and welcome back to the program. The police in Moscow gave a press conference today and a bit of an update on where the case stands, and they even ruled a few people out. So let's just get right into the article, and let's get caught up real quick. Like I said, this article was published by the Idaho Statesman. Headline, Police don't think 911 caller or the roommates were the killers in the University of Idaho student stabbings. This article was authored by Angela Palermo. Now, when I first read about this case, and I heard that the roommates were there while this all went on, I had a lot of questions about how they didn't hear this, how was it that nobody called, but when you go back and you think about it, it makes sense, right? When I was in college, I'd sleep all damn day if I went out partying the night before, so very likely they slept late, they slept in, and they ended up not even knowing this went down until the next day. That There could only be two possibilities, right? Either that occurred or something else. And according to the police, obviously, these girls are not suspe- suspects. And then you add to the fact that the nature of the crime was so violent and so brutal, I highly doubt that a woman was responsible for that in the first place. So I could see why they would rule the roommates out, the ones that survived. And you have to remember, even though it seems crazy, sometimes life is crazy and weird circumstances do arise. And the fact that they had their doors locked, maybe that played something into it as well. But no matter what, the police are saying that they had nothing to do with it. They are also ruling out the person who called 911 and they're saying that that phone call was made from one of the roommate's phones. Now, they've also said in this press conference that other people were in the home during the time of that 911 phone call. Now, remember, that phone call came a lot later on, on Sunday afternoon, morning-ish, 11.58 or so. Authorities in the University of Idaho student death investigation still don't have a suspect in custody, but they believe that several people are not suspects, including the person who made the first 911 call and the man whom two of the slain women called but who did not answer. So there, that answers that. I figured that that phone call would play a key here, but you know what? Wherever the evidence goes, I'm certainly not an investigator, so wherever this evidence goes, we're going to follow it. And if they believe that that person isn't somebody who is involved here, then we have to listen to what they're saying, I guess. At a news conference Sunday, Moscow Police Chief James Fry also declined to say which victims were on which floors of the three-story rental house where they died. Two of the four students were on the second floor and two on the third, police said. So, again, not that many questions have been answered even with this press conference. But remember, what they told us isn't everything that they have. The police are definitely way ahead of the general public when it comes to the investigation. And they're tracking things down. They have access to information we don't have. So if they're going to rule people out, then I'm going to follow along with whatever they're saying until something changes, right? I certainly don't have the access to the information that they're rocking with. And I don't have, you know, the the sources that they have. So I would think and I would hope that if they're ruling people out, there's a reason behind that. 
The news conference was the second time authorities addressed the public in person since the four students were fatally stabbed in an off-campus home a week earlier. Others, who Moscow police captain Roger Lanier said are not suspects, include the surviving two roommates at the house, the man two of the victims made calls to, a hooded man seen on video with two of the victims, and a person who gave them a ride home. Responding to a question from a reporter, Fry said the 911 caller is not believed to be the killer either. All right, so where does that leave us, folks? I am honestly perplexed. Usually when we're rocking on a case like this, you know, there's a couple of leads you can read between the lines. And I thought that with the phone call that that was going to be something that they could work with. But I guess not. So it's right back to square one. At least from the public's perception, I don't see how anyone can look at this and say, oh yeah, this person did it with any kind of, you know, certainty or anything like that. Obviously, people are going to speculate in the public square. And we have to remember, the internet is like the water cooler at work now. But instead of just you, Joe, and Sally sitting there BSing about it, everybody's doing it. So there's going to be a ton of speculation on the internet. You just can't help that. The problem is when people start, you know, accusing folks of doing things without any evidence, that's a little wild to me. And people should pump the brakes on that and let the police be the ones that provide the evidence, right? The four victims in the killings early November 13th were University of Idaho seniors Madison Mogan, 21, and Kaylee Goncalves, who were close friends, and junior Zana Kernodal, 20, and freshman Ethan Chapin, 20, who were dating. The three women lived in the house while Chapin was staying overnight with Kernodal. Lanier recounted what happened that night. Kernodal and Chapin had been at the Sigma Chi fraternity house before returning home at about 1.45 a.m. on Sunday. Moden and Goncalves had been at a local bar and later a downtown Moscow food truck before returning home also about 1.45 a.m. All right, so they were at a party, meaning um, Kernodal and Chapin were at the Sigma Chi fraternity house hanging out, probably, you know, having a good time, playing some beer pong, watching some TV, whatever. And then you have um, Madison and Kaylee. They're at this local bar. So who did they run into at this local bar? Did they meet anybody there? Again, this is what we have to find out. And these are the holes in the timeline and in the story that we just don't have access to. The house's two other tenants had returned about 1 a.m. and did not wake up until the morning, long after the attack. And that starts to explain that. Again, look, I've been there. I know that when I was in college, I had some foolish-ass nights. I, I'm in Las Vegas. I grew up in Las Vegas. So I had some foolish-ass nights in this city, believe me. Where I'd come home, I'd get home at, you know, maybe not as early as 1. My night was usually starting at 1 a.m., to be honest with you. But I'd get home and I'd pass out and I wouldn't hear shit. There could have been a nuclear explosion down the block, and I would have been incinerated before I heard a thing, so I get passing out. But there was just a lot of questions when this all first started. Two roommates in the house, how didn't anyone hear anything? But we're starting to get some more answers, right? They're saying that they were asleep, that answers why nobody screamed. Maybe the other roommates had some headphones on, or they were just too drunk and passed out. So there's just a lot of stuff that started to fall into place, when they started adding some more details. 
And as this evolves, I think we'll start to see that with the overall case. Multiple calls were made from Madison and Kaylee's phone to a male. Previously, authorities had confirmed that the calls were made after 2 a.m. and that a man, a friend, was sleeping. Interesting. Okay, so a man, a friend, was sleeping. So, there's that. You know, we were talking about that earlier. The sister brought it up. Remember, it was Kaylee's sister who brought up the person who they called a bunch of times. So, you know, again, when you have that kind of information, that's a pretty big coincidence in my opinion. But again, the police know more than we do. So, as far as that phone call goes, and as far as this investigation goes, at, the, at least as what they're telling the public, that that has nothing to do with their investigation or at least not a crucial part of it. When the 911 caller called two minutes before noon reported an unconscious person, police found the four students dead, two on the second floor and two on the third. Autopsies later confirmed that they died from multiple stab wounds and that all were likely asleep when the attacks occurred. Though, some victims showed defensive wounds indicating that they struggled against the attacker. There was no sign of sexual assault, and none were tied or gagged. So that would signal to me that it's not some sort of, you know, predation type of crime. Not some sicko who gets off on this. And it would still signal that it's some sort of crime of passion of some sort. The person who did it was angry either way. That's as far as I'm willing to go uh, with speculation, because I have no idea. I don't have evidence in front of me. And just a spitball, for what reason? What would that accomplish? But whoever did it, as far as an overall generic profile, whoever did it seems to be very, very angry. When you look at the nature of the wounds, how many there were, and the way that this all went down, it would, it would say to me that the person who did this was absolutely enraged. But we know for a fact now, for sure, that there was no sexual assault involved. So the predation part of it, that's out the window. Maybe it's someone who just gets off on the killing. That's possible too. Again, everything is on the table. This is one of those wild cases where it's just very hard to pinpoint what went down here, especially because of the information that we're getting. Now, that does not mean that the investigators aren't building a robust investigation behind the scenes and already have somebody in their sights. They might. They might be using all kinds of 4D chess. Who really knows? But as of now, as far as the public knows, and as far as the community is concerned, there's a madman, or multiple madmen, running around, who killed four people a week ago, and the police, as far as the public knows, doesn't, they don't seem to be any closer to finding this person. Early in the investigation, police canvassed local businesses to see if any fixed-bladed knives had been purchased. The weapon used in the crime has not been found. Detectives searched three nearby dumpsters for evidence, but nothing of note was discovered, so they legitimately have no evidence, like physical evidence, that they've released to the public. Now, they might have some DNA stuff. They said the crime scene was a mess, and that takes time to go through all of that DNA. They're going to have to go through all of that and, you know, figure out what's what. But that's going to be a little bit of a, a time-consuming process, for sure, to go through the DNA. Police have not disclosed who made the, the noontime 911 call. When we get ready to release that, we will, Fry said. Police have not released audio of the call. 
interesting and interesting. And again, probably to protect the identity of the person who called right now, considering there's a madman on the loose. You want to let the person know that you're the one who called the cops? I'm sure these girls are traumatized after all of this. And the last thing they want is their name to be out in the news while this person is running free. Fry declined to, to say whether the attack was carried out by a single person. And he said he did not know why the attack did not wake up other roommates. Police still believe the attacks were targeted, but Fry said he is not able to say if any one of the four in particular was targeted. So that's that's interesting, too. What do you mean? I think it's pretty vague when you say that it was that the attacks were targeted. Of course, they were targeted. People were in the bed sleeping and somebody killed them. That's very vague. What does that mean? Can you give us a little more context, please? We do appreciate the community support, Lanier said. We understand how stressful it is, and we will continue to work through this situation. Kedrick Willis, excuse me, Kedrick Wills, director of Idaho State Police, said the agency, working together with the U of I, Moscow Police, and FBI, is committed to solving the senseless murders. He encouraged the public to avoid speculation and instead rely on official information. And that's probably the best way to go. Now, again, look, that doesn't mean people shouldn't speculate about it on message boards and stuff like that. You know, but when when you're a media outlet or something and you have gigantic reach, you got to be real careful what you're talking about. We know that people want answers, Will said. We want answers, too. University president says some students will stay away. U of I president C. Scott Green said he recognized that some students do not want to return to campus anytime soon and want to finish the fall semester remotely. We're asking instructors to plan for both sets of students as they finish this semester, he said. And I talked a little bit about that yesterday. I thought that that there would be a lot of students that would be more comfortable uh, going remote here because, you know, who the hell wants to deal with this, especially if you were friends with them? A lot of PTSD, working through a lot of emotions. It can't be easy. I know in my own personal life, I've lost friends before, car accidents, stuff like that, and it's not easy. Never mind something like this. Investigators said they are seeking more surveillance from homes and businesses within the geographical area of West Taylor Avenue, North Boundary, West Palouse River Drive, South, U.S. 95, 2700 Block East, and Arbitarium and Botanical Garden West. The target time is 3 to 6 a.m., November 13th. So people who have footage in that area, they're looking to get that footage and go through it. And that's all part of building that profile, right? If you're going to build a house, you got to build a foundation. And an investigation is no different. you got to start with all of the little stuff first, the boring, the mundane, and then you build your case out from there. Now, of course, they have people profiling this killer or killers right now as we speak. The FBI is involved and they have one of their elite units there. So they're definitely profiling this person. And believe me, they're doing it better than any of us could ever hope to do it. So I'll continue to follow the news the way we've been doing it here. And we'll continue to follow it as far as the official reports and what comes out in these news articles. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this one. If you'd like to contact me, you can do that at bobbycapucci at protonmail.com. That's B-O-B-B-Y-C-A-P-U-C-C-I at proton, 
gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at B-O-B-B-Y underscore C-A-P-U-C-C-I. The link that I discussed can be found in the description box. All right, folks, we'll have another update tomorrow, and we'll keep it moving from there.